0: Today, we're in the sixth of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, a church called Philadelphia. It was a border town in ancient times, located on the borders of Mysia, Lydia, and Phrygia, and because of its location, it was known as the gateway to the east. Depending on your direction of travel, it was either the last chance out or the first stop in. Attalus. A Greek, obviously Philadelphia is a Greek named city, built the city to be a missionary city for the spread of the Greek culture and language. His goal was to bring civilization to the barbarous hordes that occasionally came out of the East and ransacked the fringes of the Greek Empire. Philadelphia was located on the edge of a great volcanic area. As a result, The soil was especially fertile for growing grapes. As a result, Philadelphia was famous for its exceptional wine. In addition, there were an abundance of sulfur hot springs, so people came from all over the world to bathe their aches and their pains in the hot springs of Philadelphia. The drawback with all that good stuff going on there was that there are many earthquakes. The land shook often. Have you ever been in an earthquake? A few of us. I remember in college lying on my dorm room bed early in the morning with a full length leg cast because I'd broken my left leg in seven places skiing on Mount Baker, and an earthquake struck. I got up so fast, I looked out the window, and the cars sitting in the parking lot were literally bumping into each other as the rolls of earthquake came through Queen Anne Hill. I made it out of that dorm from the fourth floor so fast, even with a full-length leg cast. You don't want to be in a place like I was in when they hit. They're terrible. And there's nothing you can do but try to get out of the way of things falling. Many times the buildings of Philadelphia would collapse, they would be rebuilt, and then another earthquake would hit and they would collapse again. So true of so many of the ancient cities in that region. Philadelphia was known as Little Athens. It had many temples, numbering literally into the hundreds, all of which lie in ruins today. The local god of Philadelphia was Dionysus, the god of wine, but let's be clear he was not the god of wine he was the god of intoxication you don't drink wine just to have us drink you drink alcohol to ease pain to create a different persona having worked with alcoholics for the last 45 years it has been my privilege to see people released from intoxication in their life it's a horrible disease And there are wonderful ways you can get help if that's something you happen to wrestle with. We do not know specifically how Christianity came to Philadelphia, but there are many who believe that Paul's companion Epaphras spent a good deal of time in Philadelphia, but this claim cannot be fully substantiated after being fact-checked. Listen now to what the Spirit in Christ says to this church in Philadelphia. Write this to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. These are the words of the one who is holy and true, who has the key of David. Whatever he opens, no one will shut. Whatever he shuts, no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set in front of you an open door that no one can shut. You have so little power, and yet you have kept my word and haven't denied my name. Because of this, I will make the people from Satan's synagogue who say they are Jews and really aren't but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and realize that I have loved you. Because you kept my commandment to endure, I will keep you safe through the time of testing that is about to come over the whole world to test those who live on earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. As for those who emerge victorious, I will make them pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my own new name. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. So Jesus begins as he has in every single church by identifying himself. And this time he says, these are the words of the one who's holy and true, who has the key of David. Whatever he opens, no one will shut. Whatever he shuts, no one opens. Holy. He describes himself as holy. Psalm 99.5 says, magnify the Lord our God. Bow low at his footstool. He is holy. Holy. Holy is the word most often used in the Bible to describe God. The worship of all the angelic beings is described in the Revelation of John later on in chapter 4. And he reflects the importance of this word holy as these angelic beings all sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. These are the ones who have known God since the beginning. They've always been with God. They've been partners with him in his holy Heavenly place, and they sing together like the chorale, except I think there's more of them, a lot more of them. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In describing himself as holy, Jesus is stating that he is pure, that his heart is right, that his motive is love. Holiness is the full moral character of God, God the Father. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit without flaw or failure or contradiction of any kind. When the Bible speaks of human holiness, it speaks of places where God is. For example, the holy place of the burning bush or the holy place of the tabernacle and later the holy place called the temple where God dwelt. These are places that were set apart for God, period, None other. And we who have received Jesus Christ are called to be holy. Our lives are to be set apart for God. The other way I like to understand holiness is when we talk about the holiness of God, it's all about the spotlight being put on him. And our lives in our holiness are meant to be a spotlight that reveals God, that people can see God by the way we are and live and think and act. And treat them holiness. We are set apart as a people in whom God dwells. Let that percolate. Wow. He goes on to say, "True, he is true." There are two Greek words for truth. The first is alethes; a statement is true and not false. That's literally what that word means. And alethenos. True in the sense of real or genuine as opposed to unreal or phony. The word here is alethanos. Jesus is saying that it is he who is real and who is genuine. Unlike the hundred other gods that are celebrated throughout Philadelphia, Jesus is the real one, the genuine one. And he holds the key of David. Now that may not strike you, but to the Jew, that was a powerful statement. We read in Isaiah 22:22, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. That was not written about Jesus directly. It was written about Eliakim, the faithful steward of King Hezekiah. The king had given Eliakim the key so that no one could gain admission to the royal palace or the presence of the king except through him alone. Now, there are several possible interpretations to the open and shut door. I'll give you four, perhaps five. First, the open door could refer to the town of Philadelphia itself being the door to the east through which Greek culture would pass. Now it has become the open door to the east with the gospel of Christ through which it will pass. Second, Many of the early Christians were Jews, and as a result of their conversion, they were shut out of the synagogues. They were no longer allowed to to enter those doors. Jesus recognized this tragedy and, in essence, is saying, People, including your family, may shut you out, but the door to me can never be closed by anyone. That door is open to you forever. Third, Christ may be referring to himself as the door. In John 10, he says, I am the door. As the shepherd is the door to the safety of the sheepfold, so Jesus is the only access for people to the safety of God and the eternity in God's heaven. Four, the door may also be referring to prayer. This is a door that has been opened, and it cannot be shut by anyone. We can always enter into the presence of God through prayer one final consideration on the open and shut door. It may not be on the door itself as it is on the supremacy of the one who opens or shuts the door. No one can overturn his decision to open. No one can overturn his decision to shut. Where this becomes interesting in a practical sort of way, thinking forward, Who gets to heaven? We all have a theology on that, don't we? Well, only those who've said this, only those who've done this, and only those who are doing this. And so we've set a set of standards. We have biblical passages for them, but I can give you biblical passages for almost anything in life, including all the bad things. Because the Bible is not only filled with prescriptive text, that is, things that God is saying he wants from us, it's also filled with descriptive text, Things that people did, much of which were not a part of God's plan or will. You can make anything out of the Bible. That's the challenge of it. But Jesus is saying here, I will let in or I will keep out. It's up to me. He doesn't base it on our theology. He bases it on the heart of God who is holy and true. Now, when I look at the Bible, it seems that the only thing that creates entrance for people into heaven is a surrender of a life to Jesus Christ. If he wants to let other people in, that's his thing. I can't teach that because the Bible doesn't give me that open door. But the open door is through Jesus Christ. He says, no one comes to the Father except by me. He is the door. So there's how he describes himself. Holy, true, and the holder of the key of David. Jesus goes on. This is in an outline in the back of your bulletin, by the way. To praise the church in Revelation 3.8. I know your deeds. I see you have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He's continually reminding people in the churches, I know what's going on. I see what's happening. I'm fully aware of everything, even the deep things that aren't spoken about what's going on in the life of the church. Now, if you're guilty of something, don't you wonder if someone saw you? Because... Awareness of bad deeds is, at best, uncomfortable. But if you're not guilty of something, isn't it nice to be noticed? Isn't it great to have someone aware of how it is with you to be known like that? A wonderful declaration of the door before them being open and the promise that it will not be shut was a wonderful thing for this church to hear. That door for them to God is open. And two key phrases are made. First, you've kept my word. You are in active obedience to Christ. How they lived was an example of faithfulness. And second, you have not denied my name. Fearless witness on behalf of Christ in what was undoubtedly a very hostile setting with so many choices of who to worship, probably rivaled only by how many choices there are in America. We may not have a lot of temples, but we have a lot of worship going on. Today, many people will worship on their television their favorite team, whether it's baseball or basketball or football. Do you see how they dress up for their worship experience? Aren't they wacky? God calls us to give our full self in worship to him. You can also have a favorite sports team, by the way. It doesn't have to be worship, but many people do worship at the altar of sports. Jesus now faces this church and gives no identification Of a problem. No sin, no falling away, no lack of faith. He does say that they have little strength, but that makes the praise given to them even more powerful. He also identifies no problem in the church no sin, no falling away, and no warning is given to them. But he has something to say. Listen to this. I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus promises his personal presence with them to come soon. How does Jesus come soon? This is a long time ago. They're all dead now. What's soon about that? Well, he came for them already. Did he not? He did. Those who die in Christ are already with him. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So in one sense, it's much sooner than we think about. But the ultimate coming of Jesus to earth, again, has not yet happened. It's coming soon. He's coming soon. Sooner now than back then. But he has come soon for many people in this congregation this past year. They're with him. Praise God. We have much to celebrate. But he says this. And here's the Point I want to pull out of this and leave a lot of things untaught and unsaid in this part of the text because I have a staff member who's timing me to make sure I go longer than he did two weeks ago. Two ways to read the text. Hold tight to your faith. Consistently nourish it so that no one can take it or you away. Speaking again. To the theology of eternal security that basically is saying, uh, don't presume. It's possible that it can be taken and you can be taken away. And second, live by your faith and see to it that you do not relinquish your crown. Don't give up on God. Don't be impatient with him. God's coming. But God is here now. And he's working among us now. He's got things for us now. Now to do, to make a difference, to make a difference for him, to make a difference because of him, to make a difference in the lives of people in our world right now. Whether it's through the Friendship Center or New Britain High School or Scarves for the Homeless and on we could, Coats for the Cold and on we could go with the opportunities he gives to us to make a difference in his name. He then makes a promise and here's where I want to land today. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I grew up at First Covenant Church in Seattle, Washington. A big, old, downtown church. Massive. Now a historical site, can't do anything to the building. Five huge pillars extended from the basement through the main floor of the sanctuary, holding up the balcony to the huge dome that was at the top. You think this ceiling is high? Doesn't even come close to First Covenant in Seattle. A church built in the round, the balcony back behind there wrapping around with stairs flowing down to the chancel like this, The choir sitting in a central place, going up to three big, beautiful stained glass. It's a gorgeous sanctuary. And you can see here in this picture, barely. You know, a new projector would really be great, Chris. (laughs) Just saying. Anyway, you can see, I don't even have a laser light. I didn't bring it with me, I'm sorry. But you can see there are three pillars with little candles at the top of them. It's during the Christmas season this picture was taken off their website. Those pillars We're like this. Now, one old covenant pastor said that's a good place for timid sinners to hide. I don't know about that. I know it was a great place for kids to hide from their parents and the pastor. I know, because one Sunday when I was having a good time with my friends in church, the pastor called out my name and asked me if I would settle down. That was not a fun day. But we went to the balcony later on, and we hid behind the pillars. We had a marvelous time in worship, though we didn't do much worshiping. We were there, though, and things did rub off quite a bit. The purpose of those pillars, however, was not for hiding, but to support the structure of the building. It was hoped those pillars would endure, and they have. That church is standing and standing strong. The purpose of pillars is support and endurance. In Philadelphia, a great person might be rewarded by having his or her name written on one of the columns in one of the many temples of Dionysus or just out on the street. As usual, Jesus outdoes this by making any overcomer an entire pillar and then putting God's name on them. So the question I have, if overcomers make good pillars, what makes for overcomers? Initially, one might think that some miraculous, super-spiritual, holy action might be required in order to become a pillar. Remember, however, that verse 8 described these people as having little power. These were not a people of strength. But the answer is in the text. Here's what it says. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. That's where overcomers come from. Keeping his word, living by it, and not denying but proclaiming his name. So, let's apply. It will be helpful to know the difference between a pillar and a column. You can see on the right there a picture of a a column. There are numerous columns in ancient cities. Most of them are lying flat on the ground now. In contrast to a column, is a pillar. Pillars are columns that hold something up, like, for example, a roof. The secret to any good pillar is not so much its strength, though some strength is required. The secret is twofold a sound and stable base, and pressure from above. I have always loved Bill Nye, the science guy. So I have a little experiment, and I need my assistant, Meredith Beers, to join me up here. If she would, please. Hi, Meredith. Meredith is a sophomore in high school. She attends the Beers School for Exceptional Children. <laughs> and she's doing pretty well, from what her teacher tells me. First of all, I want to show you a column. Here's a column. It can be placed anywhere on a somewhat stable ground. It can be decorated. It can have all kinds of things at the top. However, it can be knocked over rather easily. Can you blow that over? Wow. Being a column is temporary at very best. Not only that, but in the Greek culture, many names were put on the column. It wasn't just one person's column, it was a whole bunch of people's column. And look how easy they went down. Here's the difference between a column and a pillar. I have another what looks like a column. If you put it on a strong base, and here we have the Bible. A Christian is meant to build their life on the Bible, what the scripture teaches. So we put it on the Bible. But a Christian isn't just a column standing alone as a silo against the world. A Christian is also meant to have itself as a pillar where on the top, that's just a regular old piece of paper. It's just like this, which would hold up nothing unless it was lying flat. This is now a pillar The lordship of Jesus Christ must be in the life of a believer. Just believing the Bible and trying to follow it doesn't make it so. The Lord needs to be personally involved, which is why we're called to receive him as Lord. I'll get to that in a minute. Could you blow that over, please? Well, give it a try. That's it. (laughs) Try it again. Come on, Meredith. Meredith. Okay, you see the difference? Now you can blow it now as a column easily. Now you understand the difference between a column and a thank you. That was very helpful. So to become a pillar in the house of God is to not only build a life on the scriptures, but to live a life where Jesus is Lord. Which is why when we started praying a little over a year ago, Kim, out of counsel, the rain that God would rain down His Holy Spirit upon us, it comes because Jesus is Lord of this church, Lord of our lives, and makes us strong. We can't be blown over. And if you added pillar after pillar after pillar after pillar, just the pillars of the people who in this church are followers of Jesus, there's no way that can be blown over. I mean we can get the biggest leaf blower around and it still wouldn't blow it over because it would be held strong by being together with the lordship of Christ over the top and the scriptures what we're building our lives on. The good news is that you don't have to be a tower of strength to be a pillar. You don't have to be in Jesus gifted program to be a pillar. Even the weakest most shy or timid person can become a pillar for God. Here's how that happens. Number one, you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the old language that used to be used, committing your life to Jesus. Because if you commit your life to Jesus, you're still in charge. But if you surrender, you're giving up being in charge. And as you look at the scripture carefully, you'll find the word commit is used very rarely. But the word submit or surrender is used regularly. We're to be in submission to God, complete submission to God. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we allow him to wrap us up in his grace. Surrender. We are to be like the prodigal son. Come home. The father welcomed him home with open arms, so the father welcomes any who come to him as they return home with open arms. Be wiser than the older brother. Come home to God. Let the father bring you into his open heart and open arms. If you surrender, there is strength that he will bring to you and place within you. Number one, surrender your life to Christ. Number two, obey the scriptures. Don't do what the scriptures say not to do. And do what the scripture says to do. Lie, cheat, steal, I'm sorry. No, don't go there. Let us learn from the scripture and the spirit that he gives to us. Forgive, no vengeance, no revenge. Love people, include people, bless people, be a blesser of people, no matter who they are. That's what the scripture says to do. And that's harder than being a judge. Judging people is simple. That's an easy way to dismiss them, discard them. And do exactly what God says he doesn't want done. God so loved the world. Not God so loved this part of the world or God so loved that part of the world. God so loved these people. God so loved the world, the entire world, all of humanity. That's obeying the scripture. That's its teaching. Jesus takes care of judging. We can trust him with that. Let's us get off that notion. Build your life on the teachings of the Bible. The Scripture is the only sturdy base on which a genuine God life can be built. Jesus says it best in Matthew seven He who does what I have said will be like the man who built his house on the rock. It will stand up through the storm. Like when we put that column on the Scripture, and then the Lordship of Christ over the top. It was strong. Not even Meredith, not even Meredith could blow it over. And third, do not deny his name. Allow God's spirit to have full access into your being. Do not deny God's abilities or God's strength. I'm praying that God will raise up some people in this church who will have the gift of healing. We need healing in this congregation. We need healing in this community. And God's spirit still pours himself out to bring healing to people. We need that in this congregation. And yet there are so many Christians who are like this when it comes to that possibility. Why? That's the work of God. It's meant to happen. I pray God will open the door for that so that people will know it. About six pastors ago, you had a pastor who had a bent to seek healing in the congregation. Bill Peterson. It's time to follow through with what Bill prayed over 50 years ago. Allow God to do through you all he desires to do. Listen to what Paul writes to the Philippians. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. God gives us the strength to fulfill his mission in our world. This is the good news of God for all of us. And especially for those of us who think ourselves as weak or timid or shy in our lives. Let God wrap you up in his love. Let God build you up in his word. Let God fill you up with his spirit. And he will make you and me into his pillars for his purpose. You will be God's pillar. He will give you the strength that's needed. You'll be a pillar of God on which he writes his name because you belong to him. You will be a pillar that endures. And we will do this together, holding up his name while we're here and forever. Pray with me. Holy Father, help us to fully surrender our life and living to you. Holy Father, help us to obey what you say to us in the Bible. Holy Father, help us to proclaim Jesus openly, both by how we live and what we say. I pray this in Jesus' name. The one who is holy and true and who opens a door that no one can shut and shuts the door that no one can open. Amen.